This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. You're invited to join us at our worship assemblies each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. Tonight we're going to talk about salvation. And when I think about that word salvation, it's hard for me to find any other word or any other topic that would be more important to talk about than that. You see, Jesus is coming back someday. I don't know when he's coming back, but I know that he is. His word declares it to be so. And when Jesus comes back, the Bible teaches there's going to be a, a great resurrection. And the Bible also teaches that Proceeding that, there's going to be a day of judgment. At that great and final day, we're all going to stand before God. And the only thing we're going to be left with on the day of judgment is our soul. Our homes, our bank accounts, our automobiles, our clothes, our jewelry. All of that will be gone. We are leaving that behind to go off into eternity. The only thing we will go off in, into eternity with is our soul. And on that great and final day when we stand before God, our soul will be presented before him in one of two conditions. Our soul will be presented to our creator saved, delivered, purified, and cleansed from sin and prepared to go off into eternal life. Or our souls will be presented to him on that day in our own wickedness and sin and under his condemnation and worthy of eternal death. That's all that really matters, isn't it? The things of this life are temporary. They're short-lived. All the material things that we have are slowly but surely wasting away, falling apart, but the soul is immortal. It, it'll live forever in one of those two places that we just talked about. So when we're talking about salvation, we're talking about something that I can't think of anything that would be more important than the salvation of your soul and the salvation of my soul. Tonight we're going to look at some important questions about salvation. I think asking questions is one of the best ways that we can learn about anything. And, you know, asking questions is rather easy when you know the words who, what, where, when, why, and how. Those are question words, aren't they? Once we get our mind wrapped around those words, it's not hard to use those words to start asking questions about anything. And that's how we learn by asking questions. If you know how to ask questions and you know the proper place to go to get the answers to those questions, you can learn a great deal about anything, can't you? Tonight we're going to ask questions about salvation. We're going to use these words, who, what, where, when, why, and how. We're going to ask questions about salvation, and then we're going to go to the Word of God and see what the Word of God says about answering the questions about salvation. I want to tell you when it comes to salvation, no question is irrelevant. No question is irrelevant when it comes to talking and discussing and understanding salvation. And every answer is important. You know, there are a lot of different ideas 
out in the religious world today about salvation. There's a lot of different doctrines of salvation. There's a lot of different plans of salvation in the religious world, okay? And inevitably, if you'll carefully analyze a lot of man's ideas and doctrines about salvation, you'll find uh, that most of them will focus solely on maybe one or two or three of these question words, but conveniently maybe other questions are, are not answered properly from God's word, okay? Some of the questions are left off. No question is irrelevant. Every answer is important. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Um, it's probably been at least 10 years ago now. Um, I was doing some Bible studies with people in my community, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I kept hearing the same things over and over and over again from people that I'd sit down and study the Bible with. When we got to talking about salvation, they would say, well, here's, here's my plan of salvation. They would say, my plan of salvation is Jesus plus nothing. I don't know, maybe you've heard that as well. The idea that the way to be saved is like an equation, I guess. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds kind of catchy. To be able to rattle off and say, well, Jesus plus nothing. That's how we're saved, okay? You know, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation does certainly answer one question about salvation. It answers the question of who? By whom are we saved? The answer to that is Jesus. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But you know, this idea of Jesus plus nothing is the plan of salvation. It doesn't answer the question as to what or why or how salvation is made possible. So it gives us part of the answer, doesn't it? It gives us part of the answer, but it doesn't give us all the answers that we need. Okay? Let me look at it, show you another example. Very, very common idea in the religious world today about salvation is that we're saved by grace and grace alone. I guess we'd call this grace plus nothing equals salvation. I'm telling you, we cannot be saved without God's grace. God's grace gives us a partial answer to the question, by what are we saved? We are saved by God's grace, no doubt. That's part of the answer, but this idea that we're saved by grace and grace alone, it ignores and leaves out and doesn't answer the questions of when are we saved, where can we be saved, and, and how exactly are we saved. So again, another one of man's ideas that gives us part of the answer, but not all of it. We need to understand all the answers. We need to understand everything God's Word has to say about salvation, because the last thing we want to do is leave out a crucial or critical or essential ingredient to God's plan for our salvation. Okay? So that's what I want to try to do. I want to go through these very simple questions that we raise about salvation and go to the Word of God and see what all these questions can teach us about our salvation. First question we'll start with is who? Who saves us? That's easy. We just mentioned that. We are saved through Jesus Christ and Him alone. I'm here to tell you tonight, I don't care how good looking you are. I don't care how generous you are. I don't care how wealthy you are. I don't care how many good things you've done in your community. You will never be able to do enough good to save yourself. You can't. You can't. The only way that it'd be possible for you to save yourself is to never sin in the first place. 
If you've ever committed sin, you're a lawbreaker in the sight of God. You know, we, we go down the highways from, from day to day in our vehicles, and you can obey the speed limit every day of your life. Every day of your life when you get on the highway in your vehicle, you can obey and follow the speed limit. And that, that's good. I recommend that. But the first time you break the speed limit and the state trooper pulls you over and writes you that ticket, you're a lawbreaker. You broke the law. Are you going to tell the state trooper, well, you know, every other day of my life, I've obeyed the speed limit. You think that's going to get you out of your ticket? No, you know why? Because it just takes one time for you to be guilty of breaking the law. It's the same way with God's judicial system. First time we sin, we come under his condemnation and under his wrath because I think sometimes it's hard for us to grasp how truly repulsive sin is in the eyes of God. He's so holy. He's so good. He's so righteous. And he made us for righteousness, goodness, and holiness to reflect his glorious spiritual image. And we go off and commit these terrible spiritual crimes against him that we call sin. I think sometimes it's hard for us to see how truly terrible it is in the sight of God. And we think, well, you know, we're not that bad of a sinner. All it takes is one. All it takes is one. If you have sin in your life, you're under God's condemnation. The penalty, the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve because of our sin. So what do we need? We can't save ourselves. We're under condemnation because of our own sin. We need a savior. We need a deliverer, don't we? We need someone to come in and plead our case. And that's who Jesus was. He came in and pled our case before God. And he came in and offered to take our place and pay the punishment that we deserve for our sin. He paid the death penalty. He took the punishment of our sin upon himself. Thereby, he's the only one through whom we can be saved. That's what Peter preached. That's what all the apostles preached. And here in Acts chapter 4, Peter preached in Jerusalem. He says, neither is there salvation in any other. No one. For there is no other name. You back up two verses to verse 10. The name that he's talking about is the name of Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So when it comes to the who of salvation, the who of salvation is Jesus. He's the one who makes it possible. Let's, all, let's ask another who question. We know that Jesus is the one who makes our salvation possible. Well, who can be saved? Who can be saved? The Bible teaches that everybody, anybody, can be saved. Okay? There, there are uh, doctrinal errors out there in the religious world today that says that God has designated some and uh, predetermined, predestined some to salvation, and he's predetermined and predestined some to eternal damnation. That's not the teaching of the Bible. That's a doctrine and tradition of men. Let's look at what the scriptures have to say. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. I like to encourage young people in this audience to memorize this verse. This was a verse that I memorized when I was very, very young. And the way that I was able to remember this verse, I'm a numbers kind of guy. 
Just remember, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. It's lined right up perfectly for you, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Who does God want to be saved? Does he will that only some will be saved? No, the Bible says that he wills that all would be saved. Does he will that just a few would come to the knowledge of the truth? No, he actually wills and would have all men, everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, God is not restrictive. He's no respecter of persons. He wants every single human being that's ever lived to be saved. And he wants them all to come to the knowledge of the truth. Revelation twenty-two seventeen: And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will. Whosoever will, the Bible says, let him take the water of life freely. Salvation is free and open to everybody and anybody who will come to Christ for the salvation he wants to give to all mankind. Let's move away from the question of who. Let's move on to the second question, what? If salvation is made possible only through Jesus Christ, well, what did Jesus Christ do? How did he provide this salvation that's available to all of us? The Bible teaches us that he went to a cross and he died for our sins. Okay, and we could go back to the Gospels and we could read those accounts of his crucifixion. We could read those things. We could read about how he was beaten. We could read about how he was tortured, how he was spit upon, how they drove nails into his hands and hung him up on a cross outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Why was that so significant? We spend a lot of time talking about the death of Jesus, how he died for, for our sins. Why is that so significant? Here's the way Peter explains it in 1 Peter 2, verse 24. Speaking of Jesus, he says, Who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes or whose wounds ye were healed. You know who they crucified in those days? The days of the Roman Empire? They crucified criminals, the worst of the criminals. If you were walking through a, a Roman city and you saw people hung up on crosses, you could rest assured that the people on those crosses were terrible criminals. But we see Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, the only sinless man to walk the face of the earth, hung up on a cross. Why was it so important that he do that? Why was it necessary that he die a criminal's death? What he was actually doing on that cross is he was not paying any punishment or penalty for his own sin, for he had no sin. He didn't have any sin. He wasn't like you and me. We're sinful. We commit sin. We transgress God's law. Jesus didn't. He was perfect, he was righteous, he was holy. And when he hung up on that cross, he wasn't paying the penalty for his sin. He was bearing our sins in his body on that cross. You see, he took our sin. He took the penalty that we deserved. 
And he satisfied the wrath of God through paying the penalty. And that's the only way that we can go free and live. It's because the penalty for our sin debt has already been paid. And it was paid when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's what Christ did for you and that's what Christ did for me. What saves us? Another what question concerning salvation. What saves us? Earlier we talked about how the grace of God is what saves us. And that's true. The Bible also teaches that it's the blood of Christ that's involved in our salvation as well. We're saved by the blood that Jesus shed. Revelation 1 and 5, this is uh, the introduction to John's revelation that he received. He said that this revelation was from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and first begotten of the dead and prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us, look here, and washed us, from our sins in his own blood. When we sin, our soul gets stained and dirty. It's sort of like my boots. You know, after about a week of doing the things I do uh, around my place and on my farm, after about a week of working outside, my boots are just plumb dirty. They are just plumb dirty. And I can't stand dirty boots. At least once a week, I'm going to take a little bit of time to clean them and get all that stuff washed off and make them look shiny and new again. I like that. Okay. Sin is like the mud on those boots. It tarnishes our soul. Jesus came to shed his blood, and you can think of that blood as a cleansing solution that washes all of that dirtiness away from our soul. It covers our soul. It covers our soul in such a way that when God looks down on us and he sees within us, you know God can see beneath the clothes and the skin that, that we wear every day. He can see down into our heart and in our soul. And he can see the condition of our soul. He can see all the sin that we commit, the sin we try to hide from our family, our friends, our fellow man. God sees all that. You can't hide any of that from him. But when you have the blood of Christ covering your soul, God looks down and he doesn't see our sin. He sees the blood of his son, the blood of that perfect sacrifice. That's what the Father sees when he looks down on the hearts and souls of those who are saved from sin. So without the blood of Christ, without this cleansing solution to wash and clean our soul, we wouldn't have any hope. We couldn't have salvation. Let's move on to the, the question of where. Where can a person be saved? Do you have to be in a church building to be saved? Where? Where can a person be saved? I, I'm here to tell you tonight, you can, you can be saved anywhere. I don't care where you are. You can be saved anywhere. You can be saved right here tonight. You can be saved right here. In Acts chapter 8, we read about the conversion of that Ethiopian eunuch. We talked about him a little bit last night. That man from Ethiopia who'd come to Jerusalem to worship God according to the way of the Jews. He's returning back to his home in Africa, riding in his chariot, right, when God sends the evangelist Philip to him. And Philip preaches the gospel to him. We're going to start in that part of the story in Acts 8, 26. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, 
saying, Arise, go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, unto Gaza, which is desert, which is desert, a remote, sparse area of wilderness. That's where the Lord told Philip to go. And that's where he found this eunuch. And that's where he preached the gospel to him in his chariot. For time's sake, we'll skip down to verse 36. And as they went on their way, Philip and, and the eunuch in this chariot, doing a Bible study from Isaiah chapter 53, what does the eunuch say? They came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? I don't know what that water looked like. I don't know if it was a little stream. I don't know if it was a big river. I don't know if it was a pond or something that might resemble a lake. I don't know what it was. I don't know where it was. I couldn't take you to it today and point to it and say, that's it. It really didn't matter. You know why? Because a person can be saved anywhere. A person can be saved anywhere. You can be saved right here tonight if you, that's what you desire. What about the question of when? When can a person be saved? When can I be saved? You know, from time to time we have different things we want to do, maybe different items we want to purchase. And, uh, well, sometimes we have to wait, don't we? Maybe we ordered it on Amazon and... Uh, We've got to wait three or four days for it to get here in the mail, right? Um, sometimes we just have to wait. Sometimes we don't like to wait, do we? Sometimes we're not very patient. The wonderful thing about the answer to this question, when can we be saved, is, is you don't have to wait. You can be saved any time. You can be saved right now, tonight, if that's your desire. Acts 16, verse 25. This is another amazing story about the conversion of a jailer from the city of Philippi, the man that was given the charge of guarding Paul and Silas there in the prison, right? You remember they were there in the prison in, in Philippi in Acts 16, 25? The Bible says, and at midnight, middle of the night, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Remember what happened, though? The Lord sent a great earthquake foundations of the prison were shaken the, the chains fall off the doors fly open the jailer had fallen asleep but he's shaken out of his sleep and he wakes up and he, he believes that all the prisoners have escaped he's about to draw his sword and take his own life Paul tells him don't do that we're all here everything's okay remember that story verse 33 and he took the, he the jailer took them the same hour of the night or excuse me he is Paul, took them the same hour of the night, and no, it's the jailer. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. He took them the same hour of the night, the jailer took Paul and Silas, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his straightway. Same hour of the night, in verse 33. Same hour of the night. Well, they were singing at midnight in verse 25. And within a matter of an hour, this man had heard enough and believed enough and had been taught enough to know he needed salvation and to know what he needed to do to get it. Within an hour, sometime in the middle of the night, 12, sometime between 12 and 1 o'clock in the night, this jailer found salvation. You can be saved any time. It don't matter what the hour of the day is. 
morning, noon, night, it doesn't matter. You can be saved anytime. You can be saved right now, tonight, if that's your desire. Let's look at the question of why. Why did Christ die? Why? How many people would you die for? I want you to stop and think. How many people would you, seriously, without a question, without a doubt, how many people would you die for? I'm going to confess to you tonight that the list of people that I would die for is very, very short. It's very, very short. Would you die for the worst criminal this world's ever known? I'm going to tell you right now, he's not on my list of people I'd die for. But when Jesus died on the cross, he was dying for every criminal and every sinner this old sinful world has ever known. How could he do that? Why would he do that? He did it to demonstrate the magnitude, the height, the breadth, the width, and the depth of God's love. He did it to demonstrate God's love and mercy and to show us how big that love really was. Romans 5, verses 6 to 8 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. When you were at your lowest point, when you were at the bottom of the barrel, that's when Jesus died for you. We, we, maybe we sometimes believe or get to thinking that, well, Jesus died for me on my best day, right? Maybe he died for me on my best day. No, he died for you on your worst day. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Listen, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. We, we might die for the best person in the world, certainly not for the worst person in the world. We, we might entertain the thought of dying for the best person in the world, yet for adventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth. He shows his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Lord knew how wicked, He knew how sinful, He knew how vile that we would be with our words, with our thoughts, with our actions and our deeds. It was no surprise to Him. He, he knew that. Yet He still came and lived and died on the cross for us. And that's just... It's God's way of teaching us and showing us how abundant and how big His love and mercy really is. Last question here is how? How can a person be saved? In light of everything that we've talked about tonight, in light of how Christ is the only way for us to be saved, and how it's the blood that He shed on the cross that makes that salvation possible and covers our sin, Understanding that we can be saved at any time and any place, you can be saved right here, right now, tonight. And you should do it because God loves you. He's a merciful God. 
And he's demonstrated that to you through giving up his son, Jesus. In light of all that, how can a person be saved? The first thing you've got to do to be saved is to hear and believe the gospel. You've got to hear and believe the good news that I've been telling you tonight. The good news of his death, burial, and resurrection. And he came, he died, he paid the price for sin. He was so dead that they buried him. But by the power of God, God raised him up. Give him new life. Jesus is not dead tonight. He's alive at the right hand of God. And he makes intercession for those who trust and obey him. You've got to believe that. You've got to believe Jesus is the only way. You've got to believe he paid the price. You've got to believe and accept and receive this great mercy, this great love, this great gift that God extends to each and every one of us. you got to hear and believe the gospel. Romans 10 verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? He goes on to say, How shall they preach except they be sent? Right? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, you know what it means to call upon the name of the Lord? It means to invoke and to appeal to the power of the Almighty to give you salvation. To invoke and to appeal to the, the power, the power that uh, is available to give salvation to us. That's what it means to call on the name of the Lord. And without, and without turning to and appealing uh, to God for the salvation that we need, we cannot be saved. How, how do we call on the name of the Lord? Well, we, first thing we've got to do is we've got to believe. We've got to believe in the gospel. How are we going to believe it if we don't hear it? How are we going to hear it if somebody doesn't tell it to us? So you see, it all starts here with hearing and believing the gospel before we can move on to calling on the name of the Lord like the Apostle Paul did in Acts twenty-two sixteen when he put the Lord on in baptism. Okay? Before a person puts the Lord on in baptism, calling on the name of the Lord in that specific manner, we got to repent of our sins. A, a lot of churches today don't teach this as part of the plan of salvation. They don't teach the necessity that we repent of our sin. You know what repentance is? Repentance is a change of heart and a change of mind resulting in a change of course or direction in our life. That's what repentance is. And listen, when you truly believe that an innocent man died on a cross to save you from your sin, you'll completely change the way you view sin. The things, the sinful things that used to be so pleasurable, the things that you used to run right into and get involved with that were wicked and vile. Those things aren't as appealing anymore, are they? When we stop and think about the great price that was paid to deliver us from all that nonsense, it helps to motivate. True belief and faith is what helps us motiv motivate it, what motivates us to make that change. Change of heart, change of mind, resulting in a change of course and change of direction. And, and I don't care what all the churches and all the preachers say. God's word says that it, he expects this. He commands this of all of us. Acts 17.30, Paul is, is teaching 
a group of philosophers in Athens on a, at a place called Mars Hill. And what he tells them, he's speaking with them about the idolatry that they had been involved in for hundreds and hundreds of years. Acts 17.30, he says, The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. God commands all men everywhere to repent. That's you. That's me. That's everybody in this room. That's everybody in Wheeler, Texas tonight. God commands and expects us to repent of our sin if we want to be saved from sin. We must repent. We must confess our faith in Christ. If we truly believe that he, he is who he says he is and that he did what he said he did, if we believe it in our heart sincerely. It's not hard for that belief to come out of our mouth in the form of a confession, is it? It's not hard. It's not difficult. We've got to confess our faith in Christ. Romans 10.10, it says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. You've got, got to believe. It's where it all starts, in the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We need to be willing to confess our faith in Christ if we want to be saved. The last thing that we need to do if we want to be saved is we need to be baptized in water for the remission of our sins. This is something that, that Jesus commanded. He commanded his apostles as they went out teaching and preaching the gospel everywhere. He commanded them to teach and preach and, and baptize in his name. He told them in Mark, Mark chapter 16, verse 16, he told them, He that believeth, got to believe, and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned or condemned. You know, in this specific passage, there's two things that Jesus calls out by name that we must do if we want to be saved. And it's not hard to understand what they are. It's, it's right there. It's in my Bible. It's in your Bible. And it's plain to, to see and to read, and it would be hard to misunderstand. Jesus made it so plain and so simple. He that believeth, got to believe. And is baptized, got to be baptized, shall be saved. Okay? The religious world comes up with all kinds of reasons and excuses to bypass and overlook and neglect baptism. But when we go to the Word of God, we see something different, don't we, than what a lot of preachers are telling us today about baptism. When we go to the Word of God and see what Jesus said, he made it very plain and very clear. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. What has the Word of God taught us tonight about the plan of salvation? What has the Word of God taught us about how we can be saved? It's taught us that Jesus Christ died for all of us. Jesus Christ died for you. He did that for you. He had you in mind when He went to that cross and suffered all those terrible, terrible things. He shed His blood there on that cross and that blood is available to cleanse you. That blood, Zechariah chapter 13, likens it unto a, a fountain that's perpetually flowing. The fountain of Christ's blood is, is flowing tonight. It's been flowing ever since the day Jesus died on the cross. That fountain will never go dry. It's still saving the souls of people who come to that fountain 
and reach out and accept the sacrifice of Jesus. His blood is just as powerful tonight to cleanse you as it was on the day that he shed it. You can be saved right here tonight. You don't have to wait till tomorrow. You don't have to wait till next week. You don't have to wait till some other more convenient time. I would beg and plead with you to not wait until tomorrow, to not wait until next week or some more convenient time because let me tell you, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And who knows, we, we may never come to see that more convenient time in our life. A lot of people give this excuse on down through their life that I'll, I'll get right with God later. I'll get right with God later. I'll get right with God tomorrow. And then they run out of tomorrows. They give that same old excuse on down to the, their last day on earth and they run out of tomorrows. You can be saved right here. You can be saved right now, tonight. God has shown you how much he loves you. He has demonstrated for you how wonderful and matchless his grace is. The question is, what are you going to do with the great love, mercy, and grace that God has demonstrated and shown to you? Here's what I beg and plead with you to do. I beg and plead with you to take these steps that the Bible outlines that you can take tonight and, and have salvation. This is God's plan for your salvation. I don't care who you are. <clears throat> this is God's plan for your salvation. To hear the gospel as it's been delivered to you tonight and to believe it. To believe these things with all your heart. To let them sink down deep into the innermost part of your being. So much so that they become so true to you you're ready to change the way you live that you're ready and motivated and willing to make a change in your life that change that we call repentance repent of your sin turn away from sin turn away from death and turn to God and the salvation he wants to give you believe the gospel repent of your sin confess your faith tonight in Christ it's a it's a simple confession a confession that one believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's the confession the eunuch made in Acts chapter 8 right before he was baptized. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Make a confession like that tonight and be baptized. Got a beautiful baptistry right there. I don't think I've seen a more beautiful baptistry in all my years of traveling and teaching. That's beautiful. How convenient it has been prepared. All things have been made ready. The water is there. Remember what the eunuch said? See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? I can tell you the same thing tonight. Here is water. All things are made ready. You can be saved tonight. You can be baptized. You can put on Christ. You can get the salvation that we've studied from the scriptures tonight. You can get the salvation that God wants you to have. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon podcast. If you would like more information or have questions about what you have heard, email us at cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook at facebook.com backslash wheelerareacfc.com.